Welcome to the latest Action Coach Bolton Business Extra podcast. Uh, today's guest, I'm really excited, really excited to welcome Penny Haslam. Penny's an award-winning motivational speaker, coach and trainer, and she works with organisations and individuals to help them build their brand profile. She's also an author of How to Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous. Welcome, Penny. Hi, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome. Absolutely delighted. I'm really excited. I think you're going to be the best podcast interviewee I've had. Don't tell the others, but you are. Well, I maybe. I don't know. It's all to be. Um, it's all to be played for, isn't it? Really, that one. But I do rather know what I do know. My way around a microphone, shall we say? Uh-huh. And uh, now I'm a, a speaker as well. I can really yak on. Uh, about stuff and um yeah i think i'm interesting <laughs> well you know us northerners know how to yak on about stuff don't we We certainly do and we've, we've got an opinion many times haven't we i like that about northerners yeah yeah and we're not afraid of expressing them either <laughs> <laughs> facts and opinions oh, easily confused but it doesn't matter let's start by having a bit of a backstory tell us how you got started and how you ended up as a motivational speaker. So you started in, um, in, in the BBC many years ago now, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I started at the BBC in the mid-90s and I, have, I typed my way up. I left Sheffield University really in the middle of a mini recession when it hit all the housing and I couldn't find a job and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I really lost confidence I have to say so the thought of actually going and applying for a job as a producer or a researcher straight off the bat was out of my comfort zone so I thought well what do I need what do I know I know how to type I'll start life as a secretary and even that was quite tough to get into being a secretary at the PPC but I managed it I found myself in London, in that London, and uh, walking through the doors of Broadcasting House on my first day, I was, oh, I don't know, I was swept away. That was it for me. I was sold. I was going to be auntie's best niece and work there really diligently and lean into my career and my work and all the rest of it. And I'd like to say that I had a career plan, but I was far from that, to be honest, So, you know, through paying attention and using common sense and just sussing out the land, I worked out that, you know, what actually excited me was broadcasting and communicating through the medium of radio, obviously, and maybe television at some point, but that seemed very far away. And actually, it was in a completely other building. It was in the West London in television centre. So it felt like a very exotic and a different destinations. So radio was my home for many years. And, you know, through the years, I worked my way up. I got a job in the business programs unit and literally felt like I'd come home because all of a sudden you had journalists around you who were working to deadlines, working on topics that were nothing to do with them or the machinations of corporate life or, you know, who was going to sit where near the window and all, you know, all that kind of office rubbish that goes on. (laughs) There were people who were really focused and dedicated to exploring the news and delivering it. So I worked on Radio 5 Live on a lunchtime show to deliver the money news. And I got um, asked by a producer to read out on a Friday lunchtime the mortgage rates and the savings rates. And that was a little slot that was available to, you know, reporters and whatever. But I was insistent. They said, do you fancy having a go? (gasps) 
Oh, I was so excited. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, and it, you read it out to music. And so <laughs> back in the... In the in the in 1997, we had some brass um, brass band music saying things like, "And you can have a supermarket sweep with Sainsbury's Bank at 2.3 percent." Oh, and it was cheesy, and it was delightful, and it was me. You know, it was cheesy yeah. and delightful, maybe. <laughs> but that gave me the kind of spark that I needed to go right. I like this. I like yeah. the sound of my own voice. And there is a place for Northern accents and Radio 5 Live was very much embracing that. I then went on to Radio 4 and started producing a personal finance program uh, called Moneybox, knowing nothing about personal finance, being very much the person who had the debt, the student loans, the overdraft, was renting accommodation. And I came and arrived at that program at a time when it was beginning to understand that consumers had power and there was more to personal finance than stocks and shares, tracker funds, laying down wine, you know, as an investment. Yeah. <laughs> it was getting more real. So again, I felt like I'd arrived and I was at home yeah. bringing I, my own own personality there. Yeah. I dream of the day when I can lay down wine as a personal investment. <laughs> I mean, I lay down with wine, but... <laughs> I lay down because of wine normally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, quite often the next day for me these days. But so... That was a fantastic beginning point to uh, my career. And I, you know, all the skills that I learned early days still get deployed now. And the communication skills, so communicating in a short, concise way, I help loads of people do that, not just on TV and radio, but in every sort of business communication. And then I got asked bizarrely to present a panorama it was like wow. they kind of, yeah, I know, like out the blue. They kind of rang me up and went, right, you know, I didn't hear them say this, but they might have well, might as well have done. You're a woman. We need a presenter. You know about personal finance. How about you do this investigative documentary for us on television? Oh, I was so nervous and so anxious and no one mm. gave me any help or training. And I really focused on what I was going to wear. I felt that really, that, that was where my anxieties <laughs> always go. What the hell am I going to wear? So I went out and I bought a suit and uh, rang the producer. I went, right, I'm ready for tomorrow's, you know, first shoot. Um, I've got a suit. And he went, oh, no, 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 no. The last thing we want you to wear is a suit because that's too much like the news. So we've got to like at least be seen like we're different. Oh, my God, that threw me. What the hell am I going to wear? Anyway, we got through it. I tr I went for a, a good long time not really understanding television or how to do it. I'd literally look at the camera and speak a bit and then hope for the best. <laughs> <I really didn't. laughs> and it wasn't like radio because radio, you could write a script and take it into the studio with you. Yeah. Or at least have a computer screen in front of you. With this, it was all just looking into the lens. So now when I help people get on TV and radio or do use um smartphone for to take short social media videos I kind of understand their nerves and anxiety and the pressure that you put on yourself and the fact that you can't really be very natural to begin with but from that I went on to live television again another step up another learning curve on BBC oh. breakfast shows and news channel and being that person who is like smiling and relaxed and yes I've got the news ha 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 while all the time feeling really quite nervous. Um, I can say live television must be so nerve-wracking when you first start. 
I am a former adrenaline junkie. So for me, it fueled that whole like, I'm on a deadline, I'm live. This is exciting, thrilling, terrifying at the yeah. same time. But I'm, if, I, if anyone's going to do it, I can do it. And, you know, no one trained me. No one showed me how. I got thrown on air and I had to learn it. Learn it. And, you know, BBC culture at the time uh, was very much, well, if, if we don't say it's wrong, it's probably okay. And if you're getting booked to do it again, you might just be doing a good job of it. There wasn't much engagement there, shall we say, um, or encouragement of talent. Uh, so, yeah, I felt very alone. And I did, I did enjoy that job. But it filled me with tiredness, anxiety, too much adrenaline, and a loneliness, actually, Paul. Um, really? Which, yeah, which only recently I've come to understand as being, it's quite an isolated job. So if I was on BBC Breakfast, I'd be getting up at 3.30 in the morning, getting a load of slap on and putting a suit jacket on and standing in front of the camera and smiling. And then I'd go home, yeah. utterly shattered, and desperate for bed and then I'd wake up and I'd do it all over again mm. and I wasn't helping anyone I wasn't interacting with anyone I wasn't sharing my knowledge or expertise or my desire to help people at all yeah. so um by way of a weird call that I got out of the blue I'm always getting a weird call <laughs> Maybe you attract them, Penny, for some reason. I do. I, do, I must do. I got this call from um, an organisation that said, we're doing some national television adverts. We're not saying you're fat, but would you like to lose some weight and be part of the Weight Watchers celebrity ambassador campaign we're running in 2013? It was Weight Watchers on the line, on the, on the call. I'm like, um, yes. Why not? <laughs> yes, why not? You know, and then it was a lucrative contract. It's it stood me in good stead. It, it enabled me to leave a job that I wasn't really enjoying for something equally as important. I felt at the time, um, not just for myself to lose weight. And I was overweight, Paul. I had had baby weight. Yeah. Um. You know, the baby was six or seven by then. But you know, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> And so I embarked on a journey with Weight Watchers, which was a delight, and it enabled me to find myself, really. Brilliant. And, from, and, got, and, and got paid for it at the same time? Got paid for it at the same time. And it gave, brought me some time to work out what the hell I was going to do next, because we don't always know, do we? I suppose no. it's a bit like being made redundant um, or taking voluntary redundancy without much of a firm plan. Um, which can be very stressful and, and weird and worrying. And so yeah. I entered the world of business. So I, I, I became a business owner, which was awesome and disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. It was a bit disastrous because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any goals. I didn't know who my customers were. You know, the reverse. It was like reverse of what you should do. <laughs> yeah. Better for business. I did it. So I had a great logo. You know, it was terrific. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, most most business owners I speak to, the first thing that they concern themselves about is their logo. Nothing yeah. else, just the logo. They want a great logo. Well, in a way, you can't have a business card without a logo. You True. can't have a website without a logo. You can't do your blurb and your flyers and your whatnot without a logo. So I do think it's important, but it shouldn't be the only thing you focus no. on. Uh, it's also fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So um, around that time, my business was sort of 
spluttering along, really. Yeah. Um, I had a chat with my mother-in-law, who is a business owner herself. And I said, you know what? I just, you know, after all of this that's happened, after all of this BBC stuff and this Weight Watchers stuff and this business, which is ostensibly set up to help women get on TV and radio at a time when the broadcasters were really demanding it, demanding to make new contacts. Um, amid all of that, my real, what do you call it when there's an urge inside of you and you're... You're calling. You're calling, yeah, is to speak to people on stages. Now, I don't know what that looks like or feels like. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to go about getting that work. Is it work? I mean, do people do this for a living? I'm not sure. Yeah. I just didn't know anything about it. And she was connected to the Professional Speaking Association in the Northwest. She knew somebody who was the president of it at the time. Uh-huh. And she said, oh, you need Steve. I'm going to get you in touch with Steve. And then you're going to get involved. And it's going to be great. And that's going to be great for you. And then you're going to get off on that and go get, get flying off and away. I was like, right. And you know what? One of those little callings that speaks to you in your mind. And you actually just hope you can kick into the long grass for another yep. year. Because <laughs> it's a bit big. <laughs> Um, the next day she'd emailed us both and went, Penny meet Steve, Steve meet Penny. Penny's interested in becoming a speaker. Was I? I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> she, she, you should connect. And I thought, oh, well, fine. Cause he won't reply. That's going to be that hour. He replied and went, brilliant. We've got a meeting tomorrow. I'll put your name down. I'm like, oh man, I've been swept into this. Here we go. Here we go. God, I'm actually having to, you know, put my big girl pants on and, and do this. And again, it was like entering that room and feeling instantly at home, a bit like when I started in business journalism. It was people who were communicating. And you know what? We're a weird bunch of speakers. We're bit soul traders, lone wolves. We have a lot of knowledge and experience. We're really into self-development and professional understanding. And we're in business. So we're all got a business, a training business, a coaching business, or a dedicated speaker business yeah. um, on stages or nowadays on on camera at the moment. Um, so it was a terrific combination for me. And I, you know, again, it was about starting at zero and learning how to do it and getting some advice and help. And the pre-SA president at the time took me under his wing and mentored me for a year, which was phenomenally useful because I was so stupidly ignorant about how it all worked. Yeah, and the Professional Speaking Association is a really welcoming bunch. I've visited the Northwest meeting. I believe you're still involved with the PSA in the Northwest, aren't you? I am very much so. I'm the vice president of the Northwest chapter, for want of a better word. And um, since having to be on uh, Zoom calls, uh, we've all nationally, we've all got to know each other a lot better. There are about 600 people in the organisation across the board, about 60 members in the Northwest. And it has been a life-changing, game-changing, business-changing environment to operate in if you've got any inclination that you're a bit of a show-off on stage. <laughs> or you're an extroverted introvert. You know, you actually yeah. don't... I don't like going to networking. I don't really like shaking hands with loads of different people and then following up and chatting small talk. Yeah, I'd rather get people to know me from the front of the stage. Yeah. And then if shake out, people are interested and want to do more that way. I was going to say, you talk in your book about how to, you know, in, in the in the book, make yourself a little bit famous. One of the areas you talk about is actually getting yourself up on stage, isn't it? 
Mm, yeah, and it's a journey. I hate the word. It's a journey, Paul. Really got to <laughs> come on board with a journey. Uh, the journey is phenomenal. And if you think you're going to be like Steve Jobs or Brené Brown uh, on the, uh, the power of vulnerability, if you haven't seen that, watch it. Um, or any, or, or even my, uh, Richard Branson, you know, any sort of amazing orators or stand-up comics, you know, you think amazing, how could they be like that? Well, you didn't see their first gig. So you imagine that Steve Jobs was all stumbly and stuttery, probably had um, an eye tick. You know, we get a red rash on our chest when we're a bit nervous and yeah. maybe have to read off notes and all of that. And you not, no, none of us ever were privy to that. But they started somewhere and it's about starting somewhere. And if you have an inkling, that is a good thing for you to do. And yeah. business business owners, fig, being a figurehead of your business and, you know, you've done the work, you've done the grind of setting up a business. Maybe you've got other people operating it. Maybe other experts are coming in and running it for you. It's your job to be out there raising the brand profile. That's absolutely fabulous. Or being a leader to your people or managers being leaders to their teams so you can share your vision of the future or, sh- you know, whatever it is you need to communicate, you need to communicate it at the front of a room yeah. or on a Zoom call or an MS Teams call or, you know, externally on industry stages, at conferences, that kind of thing. It's all just so brilliant. Yeah. So so you, you went from helping women to get into broadcasting and, and get more involved in broadcasting to being a, a professional speaker. Yeah. I went from really quite a niche market and idea that I found very difficult to get off the ground um, because the need for media training is is few and far between. And I had to do a lot of educating of people to go, look, first of all, the media wants you. Secondly, you're really valuable to the media as experts, um, commentators, pundits, contributors, whatever you want to call it. There's a really nice space for anyone who wants to be on the media. It's a really long-term relationship you can build as a go-to expert. But, you know, that's a a kind of specialist kind of skill in finding those connections and and making them. But they can, they are easy to do if you know how. I've put it all in my book because I wanted lots of people to be able to access this. Yeah. And then trying to squeeze the wallets of solopreneurs essentially who were the ones able to give themselves permission to go on air. And the others, it was only ever sort of men at the top of big business. So <laughs> <laughs> my market wasn't quite right and my proposition wasn't quite quite right. So I started there and then I just thought right, if I can help make a difference in a different way because that's what I want to do. I want to make a difference for women in business so they can be more visible, have greater public profile and be great role models to others. Then if I have to do that through being a general trainer, coach, speaker on a broader topic, which is communication, uh, either on stages or um, with employees or whatever the communication is, then so be it. And every client I have who wants media training or coaching for presentation skills or, you know, any of the stuff that I do, I'm going to say to them, it would be great to have a diverse mix of bums on seats for that training, because then you can show the diversity in your building as well. Um, And that's how I can make a difference, I've found. So, yeah, I've gone from that small idea. And and you know what? Again, it was no path or planned progress. These ideas just come to you and you build your product range over time. Mm. Um, for example, when I help people 
uh, go on panels. Uh, it sounds a bit of a weird thing to do, but have you ever been on a panel, Paul? I have once. Have you um, taken I've... part in a discussion? Yes. Um, it, it, yeah, it was a panel um, with a, a panel host who didn't know any of us. Uh, well, a panel host who knew one of us, and all the questions were directed at that one person <laughs> on the panel. I oh. think I, I managed to elbow in on one question, and that was it for about half an hour of being on that panel. Mm, yeah. Uh, have you ever hosted a panel then? Have you ever put I a panel haven't. on? Right. No, I'd love to, but I think that it it would terrify me. But yeah, I've been reading the I've been reading the book, and I, mm. I've been reading the book, and there's some great hints and tips in the book about hosting a panel and being on a panel. So I can't remember what I was saying, to be honest, but <laughs> about being on panels. So when I help yeah. people go on panels, it didn't that product that training and advice and all the rest of it. I knew because I had been a panel chair for many years and knew the better panellists, how they operated, how they performed. Yeah. But I hadn't thought to maybe share it with other people how to do it. And I knew really well how to chair a panel. So it was really standout, engaging, exciting for the audience. They get what they came for. And you don't just direct your questions to one person, you know, <laughs> little tricks like that. And it wasn't until one conversation at a networking event on a wet Wednesday evening in Manchester where I'd been speaking with someone from one of the Northern magazines, business magazines, who yeah. said, do you know what? We put panels on all the time, but we really struggle to get um, women on. And I looked at her and went, mm, yeah. I went, oh, I could, I could offer some training here, couldn't I? And again, I started offering it out as a broad brush thing to everyone in an organization. Yeah. And I've worked with large organizations on this where they attend industry events and they get invitations to speak on panels. And it's great for them to offer a diverse range of, of bodies um, that can show, reflect the audience and show the kind of diverse um, organisation that they are. And it really is useful for your career as well. But for business owners, being on a panel, you can actually find them quite easily or you can run your own. Um, mm. And again, I, I really practically, I put a big list of everything in the book about how to get on TV and radio in the first place, how to get on a panel in the first place. And, and then how to do it really well, of course. So, yeah, yeah, put on your own panel event, Paul. I think I might just do that. Babe. Just as a little practice. Yeah, I might invite you along to be a panelist. Happy, obviously, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's just talk about the book for a bit. I, I, I love the title, first of Thank all. Thank you. So, what, how did you come up with the title of <laughs> Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous? So I didn't have an idea for a book, but I had a talk which was about why you should make yourself a little bit famous, right? But it used to be called stuff like the importance of being visible, right? <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> it's really boring. And um, get the expert advantage, which of course was great, but no one thinks of themselves as an expert. So <laughs> I'd, I'd, put, I'd ask the audience, so who thinks of themselves as an expert? And um, literally no one would put their hand up. I think yeah. that's changed a little bit and it depends who you're speaking to. You're speaking to lawyers. They're all like chomping at the bit to show you them, show show us your degree, your uh. certificate, and all the rest of it. But a bar bar exam. Um. So I was having a conversation with somebody about my talk, and I went, "I need a sexy title. You know, this is just a bit boring, isn't it? And yeah. doesn't really mean anything." And she said, "Oh, well, what is it you're 
trying to get people to do you know just what is it let's think about that and I went oh and I got frustrated and we couldn't come up with it and I went off I just want people to make themselves a little bit famous (laughs) I know and we both looked at each other and this spine tingling moment happened where I just went "Ooh, that's it isn't it she went yeah that's great and then I tested it out on a bunch of people and every time I said it, it took like a split second for people to absorb it. And then they would smile and go, I need that. Uh, <laughs> or, wow, that's great. And it's not make yourself massively famous because that's off-putting and we've got better yeah. things to do than be Kim Kardashian. And nor do we want to be a best-kept secret. So then, of course, that became a natural thing for the title to be of the book. Now, when I was first looking for publishing publishers for this book... I took that title to a number of publishers and one of them went, ooh, it's a bit, uh, well, don't you find it's a bit cloying and repetitive. Mm. I was like, oh, how about have something that's a bit more SEOable, like (laughs) how to raise your profile? I was like, oh, really? I've had these conversations. I've been, I've walked this path. No, 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 I'm not going to go with you. And eventually I went for you know, a hybrid of self-publishing and proper publishing. So it's a proper book. It's yep. really nicely laid out. It's not one of those nasty sort of overly glossy type goes all the way to the edge of the page and there are no paragraph breaks. No, it's a proper job, but it just isn't available in buildings like bookshops, which we're not going to anyway at the moment, are we? No, but it is available on Amazon and via your website. And it it's is. on Audible because it's a great listen and a great read. I've listened to um, you reading it on Audible and I've read the book as well. That was um, exhausting doing the audio book, I have to say. Two days of reading. Oh, oh it's, you know, it's, it's funny because some people read their own and some people get other people to read it for them. Um, and I love listening to the Audible book because you're not just reading verbatim from the book. You're at, you, I know you add li- sort of odd words in, little bits in here and there that just make it so more natural. It's it's brilliant. It's highly recommended for everybody. To Thanks, read it. Paul. Yeah, I think as a former broadcaster, you should actually do your own audio Audible book, shouldn't you? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be a bit of a rum do if someone else's voice turned up there. Yeah, and of, we've talked about obviously the panels um there's a section in there on how to get yourself on on radio and on tv and what to do when when you start getting involved in in radio and tv um and there's a little section that i just want to talk about uh, before we wind up which is about your face (laughs) yes my face it's such a great little um before anybody knows what we're talking about, this is going to sound a bit strange, but it's a great little tool to use for anybody who's going to get involved in in speaking. Yeah, I'm glad you've said that because it is universally liked, I have to say. <laughs> and it's a really useful planning tool when you just don't know what to say. It came about because when I first started media training, I needed a way for people to write down their thoughts ahead of a media interview So they could prepare their messaging and their comments and prepare examples as well. Examples are really useful bits of story. Uh, Painting pictures with words if you're on radio, but also painting pictures with words if you're on television, to be honest. So you might remember at the beginning of this, I talked about going going through the doors of Broadcasting House in London and how I was awe-inspired. Now, I could have gone on further to elaborate on the, the heaviness of the doors 
and the revolving doors actually that needed a big push to get started and the roof, the ceiling inside the broadcasting house lobby area with a big reception desk with a lot of 1920s, 1930s gold sort of art deco style panels and and marble floor. I didn't because I didn't want to waste your time, Paul, to be honest. (laughs) But I would have uh, painted a picture with my words and also evoked an an energy or an emotion about that as well at the same time. So when I talk about face, it is simply compiling stuff to say that is to the point, concise and compelling and memorable. And because you're those things, you can also sound confident. So they're not, it's not just useful on TV and radio to come up with a fact, add a bit of detail, comment or give your opinion and give that example. So face, it's about using that tool when you're planning for a meeting or when you're doing a social media video or when you're going on a panel um, or even taking Q&A from an audience after you've spoken. And I've known people also use it in job interviews or client pitches. Um, And so the example bit is something that you need to work on and bring to front of mind because otherwise you're in danger of setting off on what I call a titanic dote, which is a really long anecdote, which you thought was going to be great and set off on it. And you think it's going to sail on and be amazing, but it sinks. So it just helps you prepare your thoughts. And you know what, if you're, if you're prone to waffling on like I am, it really helps you contain your thoughts so you can stop when you're finished because there's real power in that because you're done. Yeah, and it's so quick and easy to do. You know, all you need is is one piece of paper and a, a pen, and you're away. You can you can you can do a quick face whenever you need to. Can't you? You don't need yeah. to think about it too long. Yeah, I encourage people to use the back of an envelope, a fag packet, a beer mat. You know, a piece of A4 scrap. It doesn't matter. I use it a lot before I go on calls, and I've also got another. <laughs> I've also got another, I've got a podcast, uh, which is Gardening Podcast, uh, bizarrely. I've listened to it. Have you? It's brilliant. Oh, thanks. Loved it. The reason for creating it was for something fun to do that wasn't necessarily work, that was creative, but also for us to learn a little bit about the podcasting world, what it takes to have a hit podcast. It's far from that, by the way. But what it takes... I do believe it's ranked in the top 30 gardening podcasts, isn't it? lifestyle actually which is a wider category yeah we've got three listeners in america um some in paris i don't know why but we wanted to understand how we might make podcasts at some point in the future for our customers or help them understand why you should make a podcast or why you shouldn't actually um so yeah it's a difficult uh game isn't it but so that's fun and i use face for that and i'm always launching into an example but i don't need to plan it anymore because it's become so natural so I'm not, I'm not telling you this because it's a really sort of forced way of speaking. It's actually how you'd talk anyway. And it comes from years of listening to expert interviewees on TV and radio and interviewing businessmen and women live on Radio 5 Live or BBC Breakfast or whatever and understanding the, the, what the better ones did mm. to make them stand out a bit more and then get asked back. So... The ones who got asked back would go on to give that example. The other ones would just hover around in facts and detail and maybe a bit of comment. But the ones that were memorable and stood out would always give a real world, real life 
example or story. I mean, you could call them a story as well, but I feel that sort of indicates you should do something a bit longer. And it's about being to the point really, isn't it? And helping underline what you're saying through um, an example. So you might, you probably want to go really granular on that and, and talk in detail. Once you click into it though, it's quite natural. Yeah. Yeah. There's one story that I'd love you to talk about just before we finish. And that's your um, chewing gum guy. Um, you just talked about when you were interviewing and I know you, you, you do work for on behalf of companies interviewing people. Um, fireside, fireside interviews, they're called aren't fireside they? interviews. Yeah. And um, you told a story about the chewing gum guy. You were out um, at a conference interviewing. Yes. Yeah. So I'd always had a hunch that go to experts on TV and radio were pretty savvy, especially when they were business owners because it helped drive attention and attraction to their brand and their proposition. When I met another non-interviewee contact who was actually doing this and gave it a name and doing it across the, the board, I was, I was really bowled over actually. And I thought, all oh, right, you've crystallized what I've been thinking is mm. a really great idea for business owners. And that is to run for mayor. So let me tell you the, briefly the story is that I was doing a fireside interview on camera for a, a client in Monaco. I'm not going to hold back on that. I love the nice. fact that I was in Monaco. Nice. Bit like over the top with the wealth thing, though. Goodness me. Anyway, so a bit uncomfortable. But nonetheless, I met this guy who was a, a Canadian entrepreneur who'd invented a chewing gum called Pure Gum, P-U-R Gum. Now, I sort of mocked him in my mind a little, and I'm ashamed of that now, but I kind of thought, well, what does a, what does a back bedroom entrepreneur who's invented a little, che- little chewing gum uh, going to do with it? How is he going to compete with the likes of Wrigley's, Cadbury, Kraft, and the other competitors in the global market, which is worth $26 billion, around $26 billion. It's vast. Yeah. And of course, those big organizations have distribution networks. They've got R&D. They've got marketing promotion, you know, up their sleeves. They've got even got point of sale in every local news agent, haven't they? You only have to go to pay for a newspaper and look down and there's all of those brands. So how on earth was this tiny, tiny entrepreneur going to get any lift off for his little product? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we all ask it, don't we? And then, you know, years later, the fabulously rich and wealthy and successful. Anyway, so... Jay Klein is his name. And I sat across uh, the table from him and I said, so how are you going to market your product? And he went, Penny, I am running for mayor. I have my campaign issues and I'm on my campaign trail to help people understand stuff about my chewing gum, which is important to them. And that in that he didn't mean the, the name of his brand or the fact that it was chewing gum. He meant the two things that were really strong about it. So the fact that it was aspartame free, it didn't have any artificial sweetener in it. And the fact that it was sugar free. So it was playing to what the market perhaps wanted. And he went further with that. He decided he was going to become expert on aspartame, the artificial sweetener, which is, you know, affects you with anxiety, depression, cancers, tumours, all the nasties, nothing nice about it, apparently. It's delightful. Mm. But it's pernicious. It's in everything. So, you know, if you're a fizzy drink fan, low fat or low sugared fizzy drink fan, there's going to be aspartame in that product. So if you're prone to anxiety, check it out, maybe delete it out of your diet. But anyway, 
He became really well known as someone who knew about that and he knew about a low sugar diet. So he became really popular for those those two areas. He didn't talk about his gum. He didn't mention pure gum. Pure gum kind of followed him around in silent brackets whenever he was quoted on in the newspapers or on TV or radio interviews um, talking about these topic areas. Um, he positioned himself as an expert. So that's what I think running for mayor really means yeah. is that you could go around knocking on people's doors going, do you know what? I'm going to be a great mayor. I'm going to be great because I'm great. I've got a great CV. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my mayoral, you know, candidate list of fantasticness, whatever. And people will shut the front door in your face because it doesn't talk about taking the bins out or education in the area or, you know, rubbish clearing. You need it's Wiffum stuff. This is Wiffum territory. Yeah. What's in it for me? So if you can always yeah. think about the value that you're going to bring your customer, you can run for mayor on those issues. Yeah not what your product is. So don't sell, be useful. So was that the kind of story you hoped for there, Paul? What what do you take from it? Have you changed anything that you do because of that? Or do you know Um, anyone who has? My clients always always believe that their clients um, are listening to that radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? (laughs) What's in it for me? Yeah. Penny, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you. I could talk for – well, um, you could talk for hours. I can listen. Um, <laughs> but we're going to have to wind it up there. No um, problem. I would recommend – and I've already said this, but I would highly recommend anybody reads Penny's book, Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous. Penny, how do people get in touch with you? Well, they can do a number of things. They can use social media and say hi. Or if it's okay to mention, I've got face – as a planning tool available to people because it should be available, shouldn't it? Everyone should be a yeah, little bit more absolutely. concise and compelling in their communication. And you can get a download of that, no problem, and from a, a special bit on the website or on the book website. So really simply, it's just bitfamous.co.uk forward slash F-A-C-E, face. Um, or just go to the book website and it's there as well. Make yourself a little bit famous. In fact, that's probably the best way. And you can see what the book looks like and all that kind of stuff. But it's a business book, but I wrote it to have fun when I was writing it. And, you know, you said I did little ad hocs and asides when I was doing the audio book. Yeah. They're all in the book, Paul. Literally, I go, I got called by Weight Watchers, as you do. You know, I say that it's like it's it's hopefully funny and entertaining. So I think business books should be like that. I think they should be accessible. We've got better things to be doing with our time than reading a load of books. And quite often you get the point in what the first chapter, don't you? Yeah. This one is like yeah. a handbook, a handbook yeah. for your bookshelf that you should go to a lot if you get opportunities to get out there. Yeah. And this book's going to get used over and over again. If you're looking for a great read, get Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous. If you're looking for a great motivational speaker, speak to Penny. If you're looking for a great trainer to help you or your team get better and power up your profile and get known for what you do, then Penny Haslam is the person to go to. Penny, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. So this has been Action Coach Bolton's Business Extra podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on the next one. Take care.